Need More Words, the podcast about writing and reading, because we're all stuck on something. I'm Margaret. And I'm Dickie. And today, we're talking about those shitty first drafts that Bird by Bird told us to write. <laughs> Woohoo! Shitty first draft! But before we get into that, not entirely before we get into that technically, we're going to talk a bit about what we're writing and reading, which does in fact include some shitty first drafts on the writing end. So, Vicky... What shitty first draft are you writing? Well, well, this, this may come as a, a great surprise, but uh, my my nano project is what really? I'm writing in November. <laughs> so yes, that's the only thing I've really been writing. That said, there is a short story that I've started developing the idea for uh, based off a story that I discovered today about these underwater statues that are in the Mediterranean Sea that were created to stop illegal trawling. There's an anthology called for submissions that I've got from a publisher I like. And I think, I I think there's a story there. So I'm thinking about that because it's due mid December. So I should maybe have an idea of what I'm doing, but I'm not actively working on it beyond. I made a Google doc and I make a lot of Google docs as Margaret well knows. Yes. Yes, you do. And how about you? I I bet no one can guess what you're working on. Why, do you think I may also be working on my NaNoWriMo project? Wow, this is shocking new information. In the middle of November, I know, it's a weird thing to be doing. <laughs> yeah, so obviously we're going to talk a little more about the NaNo in uh, our first draft's main topic discussion. I have recently introduced this the second angle about Star Wars that I felt was a missed opportunity. Ooh, well, that's exciting. So the sort of Yoda, but not really character has been introduced. And in this case, this character is much farther from Yoda than Kaya is from Jaina. Because the idea that I'm playing with here is that I think it would have been much more compelling if instead of being the Grandmaster of the Jedi Order, it had turned out that Yoda was in fact the kindergarten teacher. Good times with the younglings. I feel like there would be a lot more emotional oomph to one of the sole survivors being this guy who is not important. He just looks after the kids, which is important, but not in the way Yoda was important. I mean, it's almost like the, the secretary of education becoming the president. Yes, that would be a very interesting thing. <laughs> yeah, so what have you been reading? Well, for November, my theme has been to uh, look at novellas because they both start with N-O-V and E. So that seemed like good. Plus, it's a good way to theoretically get a bunch of things read in one month. Considering I haven't yet finished a single novella, this theory might be more theoretical. But (laughs) I am finally reading This is How You Lose the Time More by... Amal Al Matar and Max Gladstone definitely had pre-ordered this book and then did not read it when it came out. And then it won all the awards and I still didn't read it. So now I am reading it and it is much fun. How about you? So somehow I'm still reading because internet. I feel like I've talked about this book three episodes in a row now. Pretty sure you have, yeah. So in the interest of having something else to say, uh, I am somewhat reading... Fun Home by Alison Bechtel, because we do have a few random graphic novels that are in the bedroom instead of with all the other books. And I kind of just randomly picked that up when my husband was being pokey about coming to bed. 
So that is a cartoon memoir of Alison Bechtel and her complicated relationship with her father and her own sexuality and her father's sexuality and how all that just was a real fun home life. Yep. Yes, that's really interesting and inspired a really good musical, too. Yes, but a uh, musical is, is fabulous. I actually, I enjoyed the book. I enjoyed the musical more. I miss going to see musicals. They yeah. were fun. Well, at least they're releasing pro shot stuff. That's always good. Yeah, something at least. Be- better than nothing. <laughs> yep. So speaking of better than nothing, let's move into our main topic of first drafts after we take a quick break. All right, so first drafts, are they shitty? Are they not? Well, we already know the answer to that. They are shitty. But how exactly do we go about writing them, both for shorter works and longer works? So we'll start with shorter works. Margaret, what is your approach for a first draft of a short story? It started to feel like there's a 50-50 chance of my approach turning out to be starting to write something get some chunk of the way in and realizing that my approach, my initial approach to the idea was completely wrong and then started completely over again. Mm-hmm. I suppose it might help if I outlined, but I think the level at which I outline for longer work, the entire story would be one bullet point. So I guess that is the general idea that I have <laughs> with my take on your NYC midnight prompt that one I got maybe 400 words into a thousand and realized that the I had thought of two different we'll talk about this more later but I thought about two different angles and I started with the wrong one Hmm. with my first NYC midnight piece this year I knew I wanted it to be the two sisters debating something initially it was about becoming a professional boxer and then my heart wanted Batman instead and then with when I did the robotics badge, that one, I initially had the robot uprising starting at the wrong time for there to be enough tension. Mm-hmm. Maybe outlining would help, but I think the level at which I would need to outline for it to help avoid the chance of this happening probably just doesn't work for short fiction for me. Mm. Yeah. So what about you? Uh, well, I do outline. I think actually I outline short stories in the way that you outline long ones, except where you have, what, a bullet point per chapter? Yeah. And I have a bullet point per scene for my short stuff. And and I also think, particularly if we're looking at NYC Midnight, uh, I've mentioned before that I usually give myself basically all of Saturday just to think about the idea. And that includes basically outlining it, you know, coming up with a good idea and be like, hey, it needs, you know, Basically, I could usually do four to five scenes in a thousand word max, because each of them are about 200-ish words in a scene. And so I come up with the idea of what the five scenes should be. Sometimes this is easier than other times. And usually the the stories that end up being stronger are the ones that the idea came with 
clear structure as well. The thriller I wrote for this year's NYC Midnight had a countdown where each scene was, you know, was five, four, three, two, one. And so I knew again, what, you know, that, that idea of the structure. And I also knew that the first scene should be the longest and they should get progressively shorter just to ramp up the tension. Yeah. I also, one of the differences here may be, I tend to not have a lot of scenes in my short work. That's true. You are usually a, a, a one scene or two, whereas I jump around more. Yeah, like the entirety of the robotics badge, it's about 3,000 words, but it's all one scene. Mm-hmm. Where, though, like with the hero they need, my pacing was a mess, and I fixed it with three asterisks. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, now we're two scenes. Fixed. Yeah, cause there was a transition that just wasn't working, and I realized, you know what makes this transition work? If this is a different scene. Mm. Yeah, and I can't think of... Yeah, that is definitely a, a big difference. I can't think of any of my short stories that are just one scene. Uh, I mean, maybe um, Tudor Thorns, but even that, there's some flashback dream sequency type things, so there is some kind of jumping around in that. This is probably why I don't outline my short stuff, because my short stuff is only one scene anyway. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, it makes sense. So, I'm also, I said, with my short stories, I'm trying to implement device for, uh, for the first drafts, which so I've been watching some of the master class courses, and the only one I've completed was Joyce Carol Oates, who yes, has some questionable things about her, but Let's put that aside. She's actually done some decent stuff about writing to say. And I think the biggest thing was she says when you're writing a short story, you should just try to bash out the first draft as fast as you can. Like, if you can do it in a single sitting, that is ideal. And then take all the time you need to edit it. You know, go line by line and really, you know, finesse it. But if you can just get it all down, again, you know, shitty first draft, just, you know, having it a complete story there is a big first step that should not be discounted. And then the other thing I often do uh, with something that I know is going to have multiple drafts, I mean, and something that I have time to write multiple drafts. So NYC Midnight, I basically write the thing in Google Docs and then edit it and then just send it in. So it's the submitted, it's, I mean, it's not the first draft that I submit usually. Uh, once or twice I have just kind of finished at 1130 and been like, well, it's good enough, but I don't really have a full like second draft. So it's more like a, you know, draft 1.5 that gets submitted for NYC midnight and then draft two would actually come later if I wanted to take that story somewhere else. But for something like uh, with Tudor Thorns, if I want something that is going to be a proper, you know, I'm going to write a full, complete first draft, and then I'm going to write a full, complete second draft. And, you know, the two will have similarities, obviously, but there is probably going to be a significant amount of difference. I will often handwrite the first draft and then type the second draft. That's a, I've done that for years, and I, I just find... Something kind of sort of freeing. I, I find sometimes I can write a lot faster if I'm handwriting. I do sometimes find having the pen in my hand helps me think. I, I don't do a lot of longhand stuff, but 
I, I occasionally remember that I do enjoy it. Hmm. Yeah. Or then, I mean, uh, over this, this weekend, I was doing my nano handwriting and it was kind of, it was kind of fun. And then there's a few moments where I'm just like, well, my handwriting is terrible. And then I laughed and that was fun too. So yeah. Another reason for me to not handwrite my first drafts very often. <laughs> my teachers tried very, very hard. If I need it to be legible for someone else, I will write a lot better. But I, I mean, I can basically usually read what I've written. I just have dreadful penmanship. <laughs> yeah, I often find that, I often find if I'm, when I'm doing the second draft, that I'll, I'll think that I've rewritten a sentence, and then I will look at the draft, and the first draft, and be like, oh, that is actually what I wrote already. And I just recalled it, and I guess, well, I, but I still like it, so I guess that's good. So that's, the, those are the sentences, those are the sentences that get to stay. Yeah, I've definitely had my moments working on second drafts. Well, because I haven't necessarily read through the entire first draft as I'm reworking, I'll go, oh, there should be a line about this. Oh, that line was, in fact, four lines later. Oops. Mm -hmm. But we're not talking about second drafts yet. So uh, I guess that kind of wraps up the shorter work. So what about something longer, like your nano project? Yeah, so I, I do actually have outlines for my nano project and did you know they work better if you actually look at them i i did know that yes i may have had a point where i forgot to look at my outline and my characters were on their way to the wrong planet with a character they weren't supposed to have with them yet Hmm. so ultimately i did go back and do the section on the correct planet because I needed that to be the first, basically the first planet in the sequence of planets that they go gallivanting to. It doesn't make sense for them to visit it afterwards. But they did get to keep the character they picked up too early, because I realized the way I wrote him coming along with them made much more sense than when I was originally going to have him show up. Because there was no way he was going to wait for assassins to show up before telling Kaya he was there. She was going to get a very early on, and just what the hell do you think you're doing, young lady, from her bodyguard. I do tend to write straight through with my first draft to make sure that I actually get to the ending. Otherwise, if I were to let myself go back, I would just spend forever working on the first section as I realized there were problems with it and never get to that ending. So when I realize something that needs to change earlier on, I will make a note of it. You know, go back and say, hey, the the Goblin Uprising plot needs to start here. And I, I seem to have a habit of realizing near the end that another character should also have POV. Mm, that's interesting. I don't know. I, I keep going into things thinking I can do them as a single POV and then realizing I can't. So with uh, Beyond the Crab back at Nebula, this is a combination of realizing I I wanted another character to have POV and realizing that I needed to tweak the, the personal stakes for the protagonist because I kept wanting to be in the in Commander Hathen's head instead of Carolyn's head in the climax, which mm-hmm. is not a good place to be. <laughs> No, you you want your your main character to be the driving force in the climax, I would think. Yeah. 
So in the end, Hathen did get POV in the second draft. And she gets one section of the climax from her point of view, which mm-hmm. culminates her arc. But I upped Carolyn's stakes so that her head was now an interesting place to be again. <laughs> With the Unchosen Ones, the need for a second POV was actually sufficient that we picked up a second point of view character at the 70,000 word mark in the first draft. Yeah. Because I realized I had placed... I had stuff going on in two places at once in the climax. And I could hardly have the protagonist running back and forth just to narrate. Well, as long as uh, you don't have him introduced as a point of view character and then killed off two chapters later. No, the, the sudden point of view character did live. They and did. the sudden point of view characters not brought, get brought in for no apparent reason. Yeah, we're not not talking about any real other book example. La la la. First that. So yeah, I, I was joking. I should figure out going in who should be the second POV character in Kaya in Kaya Starwind. Except if I could figure that out, this wouldn't be a habitual problem of mine. It, it will be whoever really feels like they want a subplot. Hmm. Because I already knew by the time that I gave Hez's point of view in The Unchosen Ones that she was getting it in the second draft because I knew I wanted to go, because I started realizing I was going to have a Goblin Uprising subplot. And that meant that we probably should see some of that from the eyes of a goblin. It sounds like a fair assumption. And I do generally work sequentially. Some people talk about writing stuff out of order, but I've never been able to get that to work other than going back and writing this section on the correct planet, but that was my own fault for not looking at my outline. Hmm. Yeah, so what about you? Well, as uh, we've mentioned, in the past, when I'm looking at a longer thing, I've tried to write sequentially, and with the plan of coming up with, like, a skeleton draft just to get the structure down, but... I've never gotten very far with the approach, so that's why this year I I know the basic structure. It is a romance novel. The basic structure of a, of a basic romance novel is pretty set, and so that I have that to fall back on. And so I've just been writing scenes as they come to me. Uh, currently, I think I've got, oh, maybe like somewhere between six and ten completed scenes, and a few more scenes that are partially written. And most of them, I think, are probably Act 1 or early Act 2, but I don't really know yet. I know one of them is actually is a, is a, you know, a big relationship moment, so it's probably, the out of all of what I've written so far, it's, I'm sure, the latest one in the story. But I think it's, honestly, it's been a pretty good strategy this time around because it keeps me going because I can decide what scene excites me. And I also, because I'm still in some ways getting to know the characters, I can be like, okay, I would like to see a scene with Arthur and James. I need a scene of them, you know, just hanging out and talking and establish their friendship and figure out their dynamic. Time to look at common activities and how to marry an English lord. Yes, yes. And I'm like, what what do people or lords do in this time? And I'm like, oh, horse racing. Perfect. 
I'm there at Ask Royal Ascot. I know what's going on and radio other things. No one is screaming for horses to move their bluminars. No, no, we did not invite Eliza Doolittle. Pity. She does so liven the place up. <laughs> oh, they, I mean, they're doing important to get it liven the place up. Um, so, yeah, so it's been good to get to know characters better. Also, particularly fun is, uh, so, I mean, to, to go to what you said about point of view is, so this is book one in a planned three-book romance series, and I've actually got all six uh, people who are the main couples in this one book, so I'm introducing all of them. And because of that, I'm probably giving, I, not all of them are getting point of view, but I think that I have two characters getting point of view who are not the main couple in book one. Uh, which is actually something I struggled with for a while, being like, can I do this? Does this make sense? And then I read the Ravenel series by Lisa Kleepas, and she does it there, and I'm like, and it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, it works really well here, and it's fine. The only real problem is most of those other characters were more interesting than the main couple in the first book. So don't do that. <laughs> I mean, the main case, is, yeah. I, it's also setting up a much longer series than I'm doing, so. This is not, not quite. This is three books rather than that one is six. Which is even by romance series, that's longer than many, though then you have things like Bridgerton, which just goes on and on. I'm so excited for the adaptation, but that is besides the point for our discussion about first drafts. Yeah, that that had presumably gone through a few more drafts. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. I I would think so. So, yeah, as I said, so basically, I feel like this is working out pretty well for, at least for this project, so I'm going to keep doing it. And I think my, you know, end goal is to at least have one scene written for every chapter. And in my head, I, I do have a rough idea of how many chapters there are. And then once I have all that, I will go and draft two will be about connecting the dots. Yes, to write some connective tissue. Like, I, I know the non-sequential thing works for some writers. Like, I don't think I could get it to work for me, but the only reason we got Terry Pratchett's last book is that he wrote non-sequentially. So it had a beginning, a middle, and an end. There just wasn't as much middle as he would have wanted it to have had he survived a little longer. But there was enough middle that we got the book. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of writers ta- who can write out of order. So it's a, I've, I have attempted it before, and I didn't really like it. But I feel like maybe another added bonus going at this from the romance is that the ending of the romance book is the the exact details are flexible but it has to be a happily ever after at the end that is set in stone so knowing for certain how things have to end is helpful because I remember once I wrote it it was a short story but it was uh it was a mystery and I decided I was going to experiment and try writing out of order. And it ended up that I couldn't use the, the ending of my my first draft of the ending was unusable because it made no sense based on the beginning that I wrote after the fact. I mean, that, that didn't stop the creators of How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, well... You also have the advantage of 
if, if you're developing your characters in the, a direction where your ending doesn't work, you, you can either change the ending or not develop them in that or that direction. Yeah, I also don't have to rely on footage we shot five years ago, so. Yes, there, there are certain advantages to working in novel format. Mm-hmm. Much easier to make wide-sweeping changes and not have to recast or pretend that actor is not five years older than they were last time they were on screen. Yes, but we are definitely not a How I Met Your Mother podcast. I mean, at some point we should just be a, you know, whatever we want to talk about podcast, maybe. April Fool's will be a Star Wars, How I Met Your Mother, Battlestar Galactica, Star Trek, probably some other things. And then some more Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there'll be lots of Baby Yoda to talk about then. But I do think we've probably exhausted what we have to say about first drafts, so we're going to keep writing them and keep accepting that they are going to need a lot more work in the future, and that is okay. But eventually, after a quick break, we get a happily ever after. Alright, it is time for our H-E-A, the Happily Ever After, to this podcast episode, which is now in its second draft, because it's been edited. Anyway, on that odd note, uh, what is making you happy, Margaret? So, I recently took up knitting. Woohoo, knitting! Because I feel like in both my writing-related slacks, all the cool kids have a handcraft. It's true, we do. So it was either take up knitting or actually order the fabric to embroider Leia's Bespin cloak. And I'm not sure I'm quite ready to do that, especially because Bespin Leia is like third in my list of planned Star Wars costumes. So I had done a little bit of knitting in high school in that I had started a scarf and garter stitch where my mother cast it on for me. So literally all I knew was the knit stitch. Luckily, unlike when I was in high school, YouTube exists. Knitting YouTube is the greatest thing. So when I was looking at diagrams of how to cast on and going, what the hell is this diagram? I'm supposed to make the yarn do what? I could just, and this is hilarious when you understand how often I Google the instructions for things and get annoyed that all I can find are YouTube videos, and I just want to see written instructions with maybe some pictures. The one exception tends to be handcraft-type things, where I want to see the actual motion. (laughs) So being able to find a video where I could actually see, oh, she moved the yarn like that, and then like that, instead of the yarn apparently squiggled like this. I am gesturing in random directions, even though this, we're in an audio format. Go me. Yeah. Audio knitting tutorials would be a terrible idea. So, yes, it's been very useful. So, you know, I figured out how to cast it on myself, and I'm making a scarf in stockinette stitch so that I can also practice purling. And I have already 
knit an entire skein of yarn into this scarf. It's very pretty. Yes, I, I picked pretty variegated yarn so I didn't have to worry about changing colors or anything and I could still have fun colors. It's reaching the point where I can almost tie it. Ooh, that's an accomplishment. Yeah, I, I did have a moment where I was sitting on a train, wearing a mask, and knitting. I just thought about this entire combination and realized my life got weird. So what about you? What's been making you happy? Well, I finally watched a television show that was not made 10 plus years ago. I recently, as in just about an hour ago, finished watching The Queen's Gambit on Netflix which is a period drama about Beth Harmon, who is a chess prodigy and wins a lot of chess games and has some issues with addiction and general drama because she's a main character in a TV show. And if her life had no drama, it would be pretty boring. Even the Great British Bake Off has drama. <laughs> you got to have the drama, uh, particularly yeah, with the scripted drama television kind of in the name so yeah as i really enjoyed it i've seen anya taylor joy in a few things now and she is just amazing i also really enjoyed her in the emma movie from earlier this i guess it was this year or possibly it was 10 years ago i don't know time has no meaning but it was a good movie Yes. And she's just one of those actresses who I could just like, I just want to like watch her face forever and it would be great. And I also now want to play all the chess, even though I'm terrible at it. Uh, this led to today getting a book out of the library that is called Ideas Behind Modern Chess Openings by Gary Lane. And I, I'm not even sure I can read it because I would, I need to figure out what the chess lingo actually means because uh, it is assumes that you know what the, you know, queen's pawn is. And I'm like, um, I, I, maybe I know, I presume that's the pawn that's in front of the queen, but it is. I don't know where, I don't know the rest of the chess terminology. And, you know, I'm like, this is, it moves to this to your D whatever. I'm like, I don't know what that is. So I there need a cheat sheet. Labels along the side of the board. <laughs> Well, not in this book there aren't, because they assume you know this. So I need to get a diagram that shows the labels, and then I might actually be able to read it. And uh, maybe I will suck less at chess, or maybe I'll just download that uh, app that I, I think it's, I believe it's called Terrible Chess. And it is great because you just play with, like, the most random pieces like you can sometimes you know it will give you four queens to start off with and you're just like yes now i have four queens and my opponent only has two and then i still lose or you could just listen to chess a lot no i don't really want to do that i mean the, the concert recording has idina menzel i still don't think i want to do that i i like chess <laughs> <laughs> i wonder if it's actually any if, if people who like chess actually like it though uh, it's actually been one of the interesting things learning about the Queen's Gambit is that I guess a lot of media, when they uh, portray chess being played, are really bad at it. 
But this one, they had a lot of consultants who are, you know, world champion chess players. And so the game, the matches that shows are matches that actually are possible. And they tried to, you know, be as realistic as possible. Uh, I mean, it's still a show. And uh, I mean, Anya Taylor-Joy talked about how she basically knew nothing about chess other than there was a board and how that was probably actually a good thing because it meant she could just, you know, learn about it through her character and not bring in any preconceived things. Anyway, it's a good show and people should watch it and then they should try and play chess. I will have to watch it because I enjoyed chess when I was a kid, but I haven't played and I probably haven't played since my brother got good enough to beat me. (laughs) (laughs) That would be disheartening. Actually, I was really proud of him because I taught him how to play, and he wound up coming, like, second at the provincial tournament. Oh, okay. That's actually pretty cool. Good job, Margaret's brother. Yeah, I, I just never really had people to play with, so I didn't play. Hmm. I mean, th- there came a point where I got tired of being the only girl in the chess club. No, I don't know that we had a chess club. I remember playing chess in ancient civilizations history class once uh, for reasons, and I actually... Got someone in checkmate, and I was very proud. Yay! So yes, Queen's Gambit and chess, both very happy things. Well, I guess that wraps things up for today. We'd like to thank you, as always, for listening. And remind you, we are on Ko-Fi. If you wanted to help support the show, that is ko-fi.com slash podcast. It's all one word. We're on Twitter at needsmorewords. So we'd love to hear from you and yeah, enjoy writing those shitty first drafts. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you in a few weeks. Bye. Needs More Words is hosted by Vicki Martin and Margaret Hansen. This episode was edited by Margaret Hansen. You can listen to our show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at Needs More Words. <laughs>